This Janet Meffer Today archive broadcast is brought to you by the National Day of Prayer. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. President Biden referred to the January 6th Capitol breach as the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, that ridiculous statement is really no surprise. Coming from the same Democrat who said the far left anarchist group Antifa is an idea and not an organization. This is today's left. And to them, leftists who are out there rioting, looting, burning cities, even killing people are apparently just peaceful protesters. But conservatives who almost never engage in this type of behavior are broadly branded as domestic terrorists and or white supremacists. This is all part of our ongoing Cold War, which is happening in America today, where it's left versus right. And the conflict is moving dangerously toward an outright second civil war, which none of us want. But how can patriotic Americans stop the left from destroying this nation while avoiding any future war? Joining me now is U.S. Army Special Forces veteran Jim Hansen. He is founder and president of Security Studies Group, which specializes in Information Operations and also serves as Executive Director of America Matters. Today we'll be discussing his book. It's called Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. Great title. Great to have you with us, Jim. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for that phenomenal introduction to the problem. I think you might have encapsulated that better than I've heard anybody do. Well, that's very kind of you, but I really think this is a great book for people to get a hold of, Jim, because you are saying what so many people are talking about on the ground. And January 6th is an event that you mention in your prologue in your book. How do you see that particular event and its significance kind of in this broader cultural context of the Civil War? I think it was a an explosion, like a pressure valve blowing for the political right. After we spent a year watching the left burn, loot, beat, and destroy American cities, causing $2 billion worth of damage, uh, injuring thousands of people, killing dozens, and have absolutely no repercussions. Yeah. And then, you know, a group of Americans gather to petition their government for redress of grievances. And, and let's be clear, some of them absolutely stepped over the line. Mm-hmm. They committed crimes and they should be punished for those. But what the left has done is try to, with a broad brush, smear everybody on the right as if being angry about the election makes you an insurrectionist. And that's unfair and we shouldn't stand for it. Well, right. And the rhetoric was so over the top, not just from Biden, but from Pelosi and some of the others at the top echelon of the Democrat Party. They're talking in terms about January 6th, where people are looking at it and saying, well, wait a minute, one person died and it was one of the protesters shot by a police officer. I mean, this is hardly comparable to what went on in, in St. Louis, Minneapolis, Kenosha. I mean, can we go back to those things that occurred over the summer when you guys had had nothing to say at all? And can we treat those two groups of people with one equal standard? I'm right. pretty sure that's in one of those dusty old documents somewhere in Washington that they don't <laughs> like to look at much. Yes. But it says we have to have equal protection. And what's happening now is Antifa protesters who were arrested during the inauguration for President Trump 
are having their records expunged and are having their getting a $1.6 million payoff while the people who in three hours, one time at the Capitol, committed a lot of them just trespassing and, and some violent acts are being treated as if this was, to quote Biden, you know, the worst attack on our democracy ever. Mm. People can tell the difference between a three-hour riot and a year-long-plus actual insurrection. Right. Well, of course, this was coming off four years of absolute insanity over Donald Trump, two impeachments, the Russia hoax, the Ukraine hoax. We walked through all of it, sometimes with our mouths agape. And at the same time, there was a lot revealed in those four years, as you know, about what the left actually did and some of the crimes the left should be charged with, some of the people on the left, which never seems to happen. And this is just, I think, fomenting this civil war on both sides where the left feels more emboldened and the people who are Trump supporters are saying, what is going on in our country? Can you explain a little bit about what you think is going on? Really? Where is the left headed with this? And what is the right to do about this? To to the first part of that, the left had been slowly, fundamentally transforming this country into a quasi-socialist welfare state for the past several decades. And they had been doing so very successfully because they were doing it slowly. Then all of a sudden, Barack Obama became president and he started to empower the groups. Black Lives Matter was formed under his uh, watch. You know, and he told people, oh, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon Martin. You know, the police acted stupidly when they arrested Professor Henry Gates. He kind of threw some gas on the fire. And so these groups began to act more aggressively. Then when President Trump was elected, somewhat in reaction to the oversteps of the left, they lost their minds and they ripped the masks off and started admitting that they hate this country, that they believe it's evil and it's white supremacist, and it must be burned down in order to build a better socialist paradise. And that, I think, is the advantage we have, is now people in normal America who before were too busy to, to deal with this, uh, you know, they were living their lives, have seen the evil they're trying to do and and know they have to take action. Well, you're right about that. And, and going back to Obama here, it's amazing that all of a sudden you have systemic racism in this country, supposedly, that whites can never repent of. We can never, ever not be racist. They don't need any evidence that we're racist. We're all on board with the wokeness stuff now. Well, if we're st- such a racist country, then how did Barack Obama get elected twice? <laughs> I, I'm still trying to find an answer to that, but I, I don't yeah, get it. They don't. Yeah. they don't have one. But what they did, and, and give them credit, they're, they're good at this game. Systemic racism is a brilliant construct because it can't be proven and it can't be disproven. Yes. It just exists so they can take a set of disparate outcomes for a particular group, say you know, too many blacks in prison. And they can say there are too many black people in prison as compared to their percentage of the population. Therefore, aha, systemic racism. Right. But that's not how you do statistics. No. You're supposed to look at all the potential causes of that disparate outcome. And they don't want to do that because the root causes end up with problems in the black community more than they end up with this mythical systemic racism. And so they don't want that. Well, it's kind of apparent when there was that little moment where they were beginning to trumpet in the media about anti-Asian racism and then all of these videos that seem to have been put out on Twitter, for example, I haven't seen one where the perpetrator wasn't black. So all of a sudden, I think that was even revealed on a recent CNN undercover video by Project Veritas. We don't want to talk about those videos because it disrupts the narrative. Well, now you're just into straight up propaganda. 
And that's what we've been losing to. And, and it's, it's understandable. They were smart about this. First, they took over academia, where they trained a new generation of teachers and developed a new curriculum that is fundamentally un-American and anti-American. Yes. Then they filled that pipeline so that now anyone who wants to be a professional in America comes through an indoctrination that requires them to, to learn and kowtow to beliefs that don't match up with, with the, you know, the actual founding principles of America. Then they took over our culture, and now they've taken over the permanent bureaucracy and government. Yeah. And those are a lot of levers of power in the hands of people who don't like this country. And it's time for our side to turn inward, where a lot of cases, you know, the right has been focused on foreign policy, national security, and business. Now we need to focus on the internal running of our country and get involved in these places because we have better ideas. We just haven't been fighting them in that particular uh, battle space. You're totally right about that. And I want to get into that in a little bit more detail. And what strikes me as well is when you mentioned that the right had been focused on national security and business, now we're even seeing the rise of woke capital, you know, as they call it, that you have these gigantic corporations and they're so far left. Look at big tech. I mean, these are the organizations, corporations that are going after conservatives in earnest, especially after January 6th, starting with Trump himself, just boom, off Twitter, you're done. And that is an intolerable situation. That is actually one of the biggest things I think we need to fight first. I I would say education is number one. Free speech is second. Because right now, free speech in America is essentially dead. Hmm. You can say things, but our public information space right now is so dominated by radical leftists, the woke mob, that you cannot hold conservative opinions on these major platforms without being throttled, censored, or deplatformed. You're totally right. Jim Hansen, we're going to come back. Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot is his book. will return right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. The National Day of Prayer is tomorrow. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. The Ministry of Preborn is making Mother's Day possible for new moms and their babies all over the country. I'm going to keep my baby, and I'm going to be a great mom. Would you join with Preborn to help make Mother's Day possible for more new moms? When an abortion-minded woman meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, eight out of ten times she'll choose life. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. 
For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies from abortion. And this month, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled, helping to save 10 babies' lives. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. And as a thank you, you'll receive a special Mother's Day bookmark. Call now, 855-402-BABY. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It is a strange time to live in, isn't it? As an American, so many of us remember just the good old days when we enjoyed free speech, freedom of religion, and people were basically nice to each other because we all had in common our American values and a commitment to our Constitution and founding documents. And boy, oh boy, it's not like it was back when we were kids. Jim Hansen is joining us. He is founder and president of Security Studies Group and also executive director of America Matters, also a U.S. Army Special Forces veteran and author of the book Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. And Jim, before we went to that break, you were talking about the importance of dealing with issues like the censorship online. But you had mentioned education and free speech below that. And you'd mentioned before that free speech, I mean, it. It, it seems like it's dying away. It's just going away before our very eyes. And, and people like to push back from the left and say, well, here you are. You're talking on a radio show. How yes. You have free speech. Yes. Yeah, okay. But what happens when I share this link to this segment tomorrow on Twitter? Yeah. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Because they don't like me, they are going to throttle the reach of that piece, and they're going to dislike the topic. And they're going to make sure that even though I have a certain number of followers, it goes to only a small subset of them. They use essentially a social media credit score similar to the Chinese communists in order to to stop ideas they don't like from percolating to their natural audience. And that is a truly scary idea because it's bad enough, you know, that they have this, this wokeness going everywhere. But they've stolen ideas from Maoists and Marxists and now are propagating those across the United States in ways that we absolutely cannot allow. Absolutely. And, you know, the whole cry of just set up alternative sites hasn't gone so well for Parler and Gab because they just got brutalized by by Apple and kicked off. And now they're they're finding their way back. But it's very difficult, even for those with the resources and the will and 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 the company structure to be able to exist outside these big tech giants. But, you know, you do talk in your book about the fact that this is a cultural wide problem. What do you do with the issue of the coming second civil war, which may or may not happen? We don't want it to happen, obviously, and we certainly don't want violence. But how do you see things moving in that direction? Do you think it's perhaps inevitable? Do you think that we could stop it? Because nobody wants that. I think we are in what I would call the last great constitutional chance and challenge. Because right now we have a majority, weak though it is, in the Supreme Court. Yeah. And, and we, we dodged a bullet by having Trump appoint those justices as opposed to Hillary. Yeah. But we've got a generation, maybe two, where we can go ahead and make a push to take back the institutions that we kind of let the left infect. So we have to build alternatives to the public school system. We have to go ahead and even, as you mentioned, as difficult as it is to compete against Um, the social media sites and others, we have to continue to try and we have to self-support. And I think the big advantage we have is, as I mentioned, because the left went so crazy, they showed their true face to so many people now that we're gaining converts day by day. And I see I think a groundswell 
where the right used to be the, the country club Republican Party, yes. is now the populist party. Yeah. We're the party of normal Americans who just want to work, take care of their family, and be left alone by the government and the woke school. Yeah. And so those people, though, have to start doing things, whereas before they relied on the Constitution and you know just the, the freedoms we enjoy – now you can't. You have to go to the school board meeting. You have to go to the city council meeting. Some of you have to run for office, local, city, state, and federal. And all of us who love our freedoms have to back their plays and back them when they get attacked. Excellent. And and so much of the GOP turning more and more into a populist party, we can thank Donald Trump for that because he was very good at bringing people together from across racial identities and, and even Democrat voters who are just fed up with the extremism. Here's a question, though, on the issue of education, for example. I, I know Christians have talked for years about get your kids out of the public schools. And now with the wokeness and the critical race theory, we're hearing more and more of that. But as you point out in your book, even the Biden administration is getting pressure to decertify Christian schools and universities, whether it's on the LGBT ideology or whatever the standard is they want to impose upon Christian schools. That's what everybody is concerned about. What if they make homeschooling illegal? What if they, you know, people are not putting anything past these radical leftists now that Biden is in the White House. How, How would you respond to those concerns? They should absolutely be that concerned about them and get up in arms. And that's the good thing. What happens when our side gets up in arms, figuratively, yes. and takes on these issues in a powerful way. What, just, I, just this last week, there was a, an announcement that South Lake, Texas, back down in, in your neck of the woods, yes. actually won a battle where their school board was trying to impose critical race theory, a racist-style ideology, on their education. And the parents rose up, formed their own political committee, ran their own candidates, and won 70% of the vote. And they ran it right out of town. It was great. Now, it, it's scary. And we do, we, we do have the advantage that what they're trying to do in the decertification of religious schools and things like that is fundamentally unconstitutional. And, and, but we need a good test case. So what we have to do is get people to back any time a, a church school or, or anybody who's, who's doing these things is attacked by the woke left. Our team needs to rally to their cause. And you need to talk to your friends. You need to give them money. All the things that the left has done for years so well, we're capable of doing. We just didn't think we had to. You're right. Well, yep. We have to. Yep. So let's do it. Yeah. We're not going to lose to these, you know, soy latte sipping arugula chomping losers. <laughs> we're better than they are. And our ideas are better. And our values are better. Our faith is better. Yeah. We are based in the things that made this country strong. And I'm willing to bet on our team. Yeah, and it really, really upsets me to this day that all of this has proliferated in such a free and prosperous nation that has given these people so much. I mean, so many of these people have become billionaires because America was and is what it is. And then they try to turn and destroy it from within. It's That's a whole nother show. But yeah, you're right. It it is incumbent upon people on the conservative side of the aisle to stop sitting down and, and waiting for things to go away. We've got to get involved. You know, another thing I want to talk about with you, Jim, is the issue of the Second Amendment. This is something you talk about, obviously, in your book as well. A lot of people are saying the final line in the sand will be over the Second Amendment. Here, Biden and company are talking about packing the Supreme Court. Will that be the end of the Second Amendment? Will that be the end of America if they're able to neutralize the Second Amendment? What are your thoughts on that that whole issue? 
I, I have a line in the sand on that. I think if they pack the court and they fundamentally take the Second Amendment out of play, then we no longer have the republic that we had agreed to. And I think we, at that point, we need a constitutional convention of some sort. And honestly, there is the potential, if all that goes south, that, that we could have that civil war we're trying to avoid. The advantage we have is, unless they pack the court, and I don't think they can. I think from what I, I live in D.C., you know, and I, the, the tea leaves here say it's highly unlikely. But if they, if they try and they take some of these cases without a packed court to de, you know, destroy the Second Amendment, Justice Scalia wrote us the greatest gift to the republic in, in my lifetime, I believe, with the D.C. versus Heller opinion. Yes. And, I, and I go through it yes. in depth in the book. It is bulletproof. You know, to yeah. have a little fun with an analogy about the Second Amendment, he gave the individual right to own a weapon and the right to own a weapon suitable for service in a militia, which is a foot soldier in the army's weapon. hundred uh, percent solid uh, support in that ruling. So they will have a hard time with their assault weapon bans and these other things they have done in the past because Heller versus D.C. says no. Yeah. So. Assuming they don't go almost extra constitutional with court packing and things like that, I want them to try and ban this and let's see it get shot down again. About me with the metaphors today, but <laughs> shot down again. And then if it somehow doesn't by that, that small majority we have, then we've got a problem. And yeah. we'll deal with that when it comes. I think we'll win. Well, I hope and pray we will win. And and I like your idea of having another convention. People have talked about a convention of states and coming together. And I think maybe the time is looming for that to actually happen. But the, the issue of a counterattack, I think, is so good. You've got so many good ideas for a counterattack. You've mentioned some of these things. But where would you advise Americans to go in terms of beginning this counterattack without firing a shot? The first thing you have to do is help the Republicans take back the House in 2022 and find a way to get involved in that. You know, I hate politics. I, I hate most politicians. <laughs> I, most decent people do. And I understand, you know, you don't want to have to be part of this, but we can't let them dominate. It. So in the immediate tactical short term, let's win in 2022. Let back whoever is running who's not a Democrat in whatever portion of, of the city, state, local, and federal elections, you can. Then the second thing is go to your school board meetings. You know, do what you can. If, if you've already got your kids free, good on you. God bless you, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm happy for you. But all too many people don't. And I think COVID revealed the moral and educational bankruptcy of the teachers' unions and the woke methodology they use. Yeah. Let's not let them poison another generation. So get involved there and start pushing back because that's the one. If we don't win education back and find a way to teach our kids that America is the greatest country in the history of Earth, then we can't win. So those are my two short term and uh, generational. Well, that's very important that we don't sit on the sidelines, like I mentioned before. And, and I think there's so many things in the offing here, Jim, when you have these discussions about the Biden administration wanting to prioritize uh, going after domestic terrorists and or white supremacists, you know, it, this kind of talk or, or having surveillance, having private firms involved in surveilling potential domestic extremists. You know, all this kind of talk is very, very disconcerting, especially if you're looking at it in light of history. But 
boy, you have some terrific ideas in here, and people can read about it in your book. It's called Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. Jim Hansen with us. It was great to talk to you, Jim. Wonderful book, and it was so nice to have you here. Thanks again. A pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. God bless. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Meffer Today archive broadcast is brought to you by the National Day of Prayer. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. You know, speaking of all of the tyranny that we've seen that rose up during the COVID-19, well, the more strict part of the COVID-19 pandemic shutdown portion, which some people are still experiencing to some extent. Uh, People live in different parts of the country where things are a little more shut down than others. But the hard shutdown from last year, you know, we we really got a, a look into what the left thinks about freedom, which is they don't really like it. They don't really like it. And a lot of people did wonder whether or not this COVID-19 issue would be hijacked by the left in order to perpetuate power and to crush freedom. And I want to get into that in a little bit. There was this story that came out this week, and there is a Los Angeles Times editorial board. It's an editorial that came out in the L.A. Times. COVID herd immunity may be out of reach. Deal with it. Somehow, I think when they say deal with it, they don't mean the same thing that you and I would mean when we say COVID herd immunity may be out of reach, deal with it. Because when I would say something like that, and I have never said anything like that, but if I were, it would be to say life goes on, things happen, there are diseases, there are viruses, you do the best you can, but life is a risk, deal with it. That probably would be more along the lines of what I would say. Here's what they say. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've collectively focused on that point in the future when so many people have been inoculated or have obtained natural immunity, normal life could resume, and this painful period would dissolve into the mists of history. But... It seems that this magical moment in which the U.S. hits herd immunity and COVID-19 is stopped dead in its tracks isn't likely to happen soon, if ever. Now, is that not a line to send chills down your spine? What do you mean, if, if ever? What, would I have to wear four masks for the rest of my life because herd immunity is just beyond our reach forever? First of all, I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, give me a break. Give me a break. But it it goes along with what they've been yelling about recently, which is not enough people are being vaccinated, which I'm going to get into in just a second. They continue. Top health experts now say that due to a combination of waning demand for vaccines, uneven vaccination levels across the country and the spread of more contagious strains, the U.S. may have to live with COVID-19 for the foreseeable, foreseeable future. Okay, first of all, According to what I've read, pandemics have a life of about two years. So foreseeable future may only be a few more months. And you look at some of the numbers in a lot of areas across the country, things are getting a whole lot better. It's not terribly surprising news given the politicization of the fight against the pandemic, but it's disappointing and it should spur leaders in government, commerce and the community to do more to rekindle the public's interest in getting inoculated. More than half of adults in the U.S. have received at least one dose and about 40 percent are full 
fully vaccinated, but demand for both first and second shots is dropping and could hit a wall soon. Okay, but if the cases are going down, the hospitalizations are going down and the deaths are going down and historically pandemics tend to last about two years, why are you panicking? Well, that's a very good question. Kids under 16 still aren't eligible for inoculation, although those between the ages of 12 and 15 may soon qualify. Yes, there's news on that. And somewhere between one-fifth and one-quarter of American adults are reluctant to get a shot at the moment. We don't know how dangerous the vaccination gap may be. Science has not yet established the threshold level of immunity in the population that renders SARS-CoV-2 incapable of spreading. It could be as low as 60% or as high as 90%. With so many Americans unwilling to put aside their irrational fears or mistrust of government and get a jab, it's hard to see the U.S. ever reaching a point where COVID 19 is as rare as bubonic plague. But while the U.S. may not be able to eliminate COVID-19, it can reduce the threat to manageable levels. Well, what, what, what exactly are you saying here? Okay, so life will go on, but it's, it's horrible in the meantime. And anybody who's not getting the shot is irrationally fearful and doesn't trust the government. Dudes, quit misrepresenting people. Sorry for calling them dudes. It just slipped out of my mouth. Why in the world do you have to marginalize anybody who says, I don't want the shot? You know, maybe there are some irrational fears or maybe they've been reading the stories about people who have either died after getting the vaccine and there have been some cases like that or they've had bad reactions to the vaccine and they're a little bit fearful of a new vaccine and they don't really want to be the guinea pig. They want to see, you know, wait and see approach. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Mistrusting the government. Well, you know, I hate to break it to the LA Times editorial board, but that's a permanent state in our minds. I will always mistrust the government. That's the healthiest thing for a republic. You should mistrust your government. That will get you involved and hold your government accountable and hold their feet to the fire over things that are important for the republic. You don't just sit back and go, the government will take care of it. Who does that? I mean, that's foolish. So that's ridiculous. But there are a whole lot of people who don't want to get the shot because they look at the number of people who survive COVID-19, which is in the high 90s. So that would be me. As I've said before, I'm not saying I'd never get the shot. But on the other hand, I look at the survival rates and I say, yeah, I don't really want the shot. Does that mean I'm fearful and mistrusting of government? I mean, I do mistrust government, but I don't think I have an irrational fear. I thought it was my body, my choice. So then we have this USA Today story coming out. Uh, And by the way, the editorial board at the LA Times said, herd immunity may be the gold standard for fighting dangerous infectious diseases, but it may not be in the cards for COVID-19. We need to roll up our sleeves and deal with it. Well, vaccine mandates. I mean, it's basically what they're saying. Vaccinations are the most important thing. Vaccine mandates in workplaces and private businesses can help to give people incentives, maybe give them coffee and donuts and beer. They actually said use beer and donuts to get on that. That sounds like a delicious combination. No, thank you. The government doesn't require that people get vaccinated, but it can make it desirable to do so. Okay, vaccine mandates in workplaces. Well, you already have vaccine mandates at a lot of these colleges into next fall which I don't understand because the COVID-19, you know, rampage through the colleges that they were all predicting never happened. You had some, but have you seen any big stories about the vast number of deaths on college campuses? It's not happening. And I can say this as a mom of 
college students. It's just not happening. So I don't get that whole thing. Anyway, the USA Today story. This is the headline on this one. As U.S. nears vaccine tipping point, dramatic decrease in COVID-19 cases could come without herd immunity. Wait a second. Wait. Hold on a minute. Hold on. I'm having whiplash. I was just getting my head around the fact that herd immunity will never, ever, ever happen because experts told me. Science capital S, told me. And then USA Today hits me blindsided. They take up their hoe or their rake or whatever they have, garden implement somewhere in the garage, and they just bonk me upside the head. No, no, no. Here's the real story. It may not take true herd immunity to see a dramatic drop in COVID-19 cases. Okay. Some researchers say another 30 to 40 million first shots could be enough for the U.S. to reach a vaccine tipping point and containment of the disease caused by the coronavirus. All right. I guess this is the story now. They quote Dr. Eric Topol, a professor of molecular medicine at the Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla, California, saying it's just another 10 to 15 percent more people. Okay, 44 percent of the U.S. population has received at least one shot. Thirty one percent fully vaccinated. Those from the CDC. It's a little different from the editorial board for the L.A. Times. That piece that they put out. A tipping point comes when enough people are vaccinated that COVID-19 cases begin to fall dramatically and the spread of the virus is contained, not stopped, but slowed enough to prevent large outbreaks. Aren't we there? How many times have you seen a story in which they scream super spreader event? You know, like they had a bunch of people at the opening day for the Texas Rangers down here where I am. Oh, super spreader event. There were people without masks. I can't even tell you how many situations I've been over the past year where I was in large crowds without masks. And here I am. It's a miracle. Or maybe we have completely overhyped this idea of super spreader events because they did this when people were going to the beach in Florida. Anytime, especially a red state, had any news story featuring a crowd of any size, it became the super spreader panic. And it started, remember where it started? Churches. Oh, horrors. We can't have these Christians gathering. It's a super spreader event. Yes, there were some cases that came out of churches. Absolutely. But it was not the super spreader crisis that so many in the media, I believe, wanted it to be. But I'll tell you what's really nerve wracking about what's going on with the COVID-19 ideology. And I'm going to give you a very chilling example involving what's going on in Germany and what could potentially happen here. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. The National Day of Prayer is tomorrow. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. 
Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. And by the way, the FDA, it now is reported, is set to okay the Pfizer vaccine for adolescents between the ages of 12 and 15. Why do they need it? Why do they need it? There's no crisis of COVID-19 among adolescents. If you want your adolescent to get one, 12 to 15, knock yourself out. It's a free country. But that's just going to put more pressure. I think that's what's going to happen ultimately. If they want to get 40 million more people vaccinated, I don't think they're going to do it through beer and donuts parties. I think they're going to do it through forcing the colleges and universities, forcing the kids to get vaccines. That will up the numbers, don't you think? I think that's what's coming. Here's what else could be coming. Zero Hedge has a really good piece here, which I think is worth reading. And the headline is The Criminalization of Dissent. Now, this goes along with a lot of what we've been discussing this hour and what we've been discussing over the course of the last many, many months, that one of the hallmarks of totalitarian systems is the criminalization of dissent, not just the stigmatization of dissent or the demonization of dissent, but the formal criminalization of dissent and any other type of opposition to the official ideology of the totalitarian system. Global capitalism has been inching its way toward this step for quite some time, and now apparently it is ready to take it. Germany has been leading the way. For over a year, anyone questioning or protesting the COVID emergency measures or the official COVID-19 narrative has been demonized by the government and the media. And sadly, but not completely unexpectedly, the majority of the German public. And now such dissent is officially extremism. That's right. In new normal Germany, if you dissent from the official state ideology, you are now officially a dangerous extremist. The German intelligence agency called the BFV has even invented a new category of extremists in order to allow themselves to legally monitor anyone suspected of being anti-democratic and or delegitimizing the state in a way that endangers security. Gee, does this sound a little familiar? As I was telling you about how the Biden administration wants to use private firms to do online surveillance of people on the right and they want to concentrate on domestic terrorism and white supremacy. Do you, do you see what's going on here? It's the same kind of mentality. I'm not saying that they're going to be able to do what Germany is doing, but boy, they sure want to. They're moving in that direction. Uh, anytime you hear the phrase climate denier, 
anything denied. That's the new thing. It used to be blank phobe. So it'd be like homophobe, transphobe, whatever, whatever phobe. Now it's blank denier. COVID denier is a new COVID denier. Who in the world denies that COVID exists? I don't know anybody who's ever said that, but there are people who have said, I don't believe that the measures that have been implemented by the left have been commensurate with the actual risk. Look at all the people who lost their small businesses during the course of the pandemic while the rioters from the left were out on the streets just fine, not masking in many cases. And the liquor stores and the abortion clinics operated just fine as the churches were shut down. Okay, we're not that dumb. We can see what's going on here. So anyway, uh, this writer says he's a little worried because he's engaged in so-called extremist activities. He's being a little tongue-in-cheek. But this goes back to a New York Times piece that was recently printed, German intelligence puts coronavirus deniers under surveillance. Very ominous, right? And they say the danger from coronavirus deniers and conspiracy theorists does not fit the mold posed by the usual politically driven groups, including those on the far left and right or by Islamic extremists. The writer here says, still, according to the German Interior Ministry, we diabolical, quote unquote, COVID deniers, conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers have targeted, this is quote, targeted the state itself, its leaders, businesses, the press and globalism and have attacked police officers and defied civil authorities. Moreover, back in August, in a dress rehearsal for the storming of the Capitol, COVID denying insurrectionists scaled the steps of parliament. Naturally, the New York Times neglects to mention that this so-called storming of the Reichstag was performed by a small subgroup of protesters to whom the German authorities had granted a permit to assemble, apart from the main demonstration, which was massive and completely peaceful, on the steps of the Reichstag, which the German police had, for some reason, left totally unguarded. In light of the background of the person, the German authorities issued this Steps of the Reichstag protest permit to a known former NPD functionary, in other words, a neo-Nazi. Well, the whole thing seemed a bit questionable to me, but what do I know? I'm just a conspiracy theorist. Okay, stuff the New York Times will not tell you. So anyway, this is the situation in Germany using COVID-19 to crack down on extremists who will not go along with the new normal. And it's not just a German story, as the piece goes on to say. The new normal war on domestic terror is a global war, and it's just getting started. According to a Department of Homeland Security National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin and the liberal corporate media propaganda machine, democracy remains under imminent threat from these ideologically motivated violent extremists with objections to the exercise of governmental authority and other such grievances fueled by false narratives, including anger over COVID-19 restrictions. These COVID-denying violent extremists have apparently joined forces with the white supremacist, Russia-backed, Trump-loving Putin Nazis that terrorized democracy for the past four years and almost overthrew the U.S. government by sauntering around inside the U.S. Capitol building without permission, scuffling with police, attacking furniture, and generally acting rude and unruly. No, they didn't actually kill anyone, as the corporate media all reported they did, but trespassing in a government building and putting your feet up on politicians' desks is pretty much exactly the same as terrorism or whatever. It's not like the truth actually matters, he writes, not when you're whipping up mass hysteria over imaginary Russian assets, white supremacist militias, COVID-denying extremists, anti-vax terrorists, and apocalypse plagues, when you're rolling out a new official ideology, a pathologized totalitarian ideology, and criminalizing all dissent, 
The point is not to appear to be factual. The point is just to terrorize the people. As Hermann Goering famously explained regarding how to lead a country to war, like the one we're experiencing currently, he says this principle, this is what the quote is. The people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. So the message is, when you go back to the Germany story, it's very clear. It might not seem all that new, but it is. Yes, they've been telling us we're being attacked and denouncing critics, protesters, and dissidents for 20 years. But this is a whole new level. A fusion of official narratives and their respective official enemies into a singular aggregate official narrative in which dissent will no longer be permitted. Instead, it will be criminalized or it will be pathologized. That's what's going on. So that's what's going on in Germany. And the writer says this is the essence of totalitarianism, the establishment of an inviolable official ideology and the criminalization of dissent. And that is what is happening right now. A new official ideology is being established, not a state ideology, a global ideology. The new normal is that official ideology. Technically, it is an official post-ideology, an official reality, an axiomatic fact, which only criminals and psychopaths would deny or challenge. And this is interesting. Here's California State Senator Richard Pan, author of an op-ed in the Washington Post. The headline was this, anti-vax extremism is akin to domestic terrorism. Oh, really? This is what he said. These extremists have not yet been held accountable, so they continue to escalate violence against the body public. We must now summon the political will to demand that domestic terrorists face consequences for their words and actions. Our democracy and our lives depend on it. They've been building alliances with white supremacists, conspiracy theorists, and others on the far right. Okay. You're elected officials, America. You're elected officials. California State Senator Richard Pan is worried about anti-vax extremism. Okay. Where were you last summer, Richard Pan? Where were you? What were you doing about St. Louis? Did you care that Richard, uh, I should say, David Dorn, the retired police officer in St. Louis, was murdered? Did his black life matter? You bet it did. Did anybody on the left care? No. No, they didn't care. But we should care. We should care about anybody who's murdered. We should care about anybody who's harmed. We should care about our fellow Americans. And that's what we need to get back to. But I'll tell you what, anybody who has common sense and an understanding of what the forces are that are in play right now are a problem. And increasingly, as the power of these sorts of people increases, people who are clear thinking and can see exactly what's going on will be a problem. But it's up to us, we the people, who are the citizens of this country, to stand in the same strain as the founders and the early Americans who handed down these incredible, life-giving principles to us through our founding documents, our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence. We need to be Americans more than ever right now. Be an American and above all, be a Christian. That's the most important thing that we could ever do following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on that narrow way and occupying until he comes the way he directed us to. Be salt and light in this culture. This culture sure needs some right now. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time, Lord willing, right here on Janet Meffer today. God bless. God bless.